Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me today is our returning special guest, Jared Livingston. Hello again. And my wonderful wife, Lauren McCaffrey. <laughs> Thanks. Before we head into the episode itself, a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and much more. But now, a quick summary of the book. In the second book of Mistborn Era 2, Shadows of Self, we're back with Wax, Wayne, Marisy, and Steris. Elendel is on the brink of civil crisis, with labor issues plaguing the city and corruption rampant among the ruling class. Winsting Innate, brother of the governor, is killed during an auction for his Senate vote. The slaying sets off Wax on a new investigation, who cl- quickly realizes that it could only have been done by a steel runner, a ferrochemist who can store and tap speed. His investigation ultimately leads to a gruesome discovery. The steel runner he was looking for, dead in her own apartment. More than that, she was clearly killed in the process of hemallergy. Wax has a conversation with Harmony, who reveals that the killer is a rogue, insane chondra named Palm. Palm has discovered how to swap in spikes, granting herself ferrochemical or alimantic powers, and she's aiming to kill Governor Innate next. After a clumsy attempt on the governor's life, which is thwarted by Marisy, Wax and the crew attend a party. He briefly meets with the governor, but a voice speaks in Wax's head. He chases his culprit into the night, only to run into a trap, and is saved by the Chondra Milan. With the city teetering and the governor's life on the line, Wax heads to the Chondra homeland to find answers. Innate declares martial law and prepares to give a speech outside his mansion. While Wax and Tensoon are attacked by hemallergic monsters, Marcy and Wayne realize that Palm has been impersonating Innate all along. They chase off the Chondra killer, and Milan instead takes Innate's body, hoping to give a different speech and settle down the brewing riot outside. Marisy, Reddy, and the constables fight a contingent of the set's bruisers to stop their allomancers from manipulating the crowd, but Milan's speech fails. Aradel steps up and arrests Innate for corruption, which finally turns the crowd. Meanwhile, Wax chases Palm through Elendel, finally confronting her and discovering that she's wearing Lessie's face. Palm pleads with Wax to cast off Harmony's will and join her, but he shoots her with a hemallergic spike. She kills herself rather than let Harmony take control of her body, and in her final moments, Wax realizes the truth. Lessie was Palm the whole time, and Harmony has been manipulating him for years. In the aftermath, Ardell is named interim governor, and Marisy begins a new investigation into the mysterious metal used in Palm's spike, and wondering what, exactly, Trell is. <sighs> yeah. I, I love that. Just those those final bits with Marisy, like the mystery of Trell, like finally coming to the forefront in Era 2. Like that's still one of my favorite parts of, of this book. But uh, after the hints from the first one. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But before we get to that, of course, we got to talk, you know, writing style. And there, even though we've covered a lot of Brandon Sanderson on this podcast, there's always more you know, always more to talk about with this uh, in large part, because this is still relatively early in Brandon's career. And this was at a stage when, in my opinion, at least Brandon was still rapidly improving as a writer. Um, Like era two, I see in a lot of ways as a big step up in his writing style. I think he smoothed his pacing out a great deal. Like this book really, really flows. Well, Uh, the, the mystery 
progresses at a nice clip. We don't ever find ourselves like kind of just spinning the wheels in the middle of the book, waiting for information to get dropped. The characters are always active, always progressing in one way or another. And, and we don't get, we don't get hit with that really overwhelming Sanderson avalanche the way we do in, in a book like uh, Elantris or Well of Ascension or Way of Kings, you know. But I like the Sanderson avalanche. Yeah, I mean, there's still a, a climax to the book, but it's not like it's not this slow grind. And then suddenly the last 25 or 30 percent of the book is just bonkers. Third. <laughs> it's a more even pace to it. Yeah, definitely. And in this one, he's now getting a second chance at the characters from Alloy of Law as well. Yeah. To flesh them out more. Yeah, and he, and he definitely does that. I mean, we're going to have, I'm, I'm sure, plenty to say, especially about Steris, because she was absent for so much in Alloy of Law, and she's actually here, present in the story. She She's not a, uh, a damsel in distress, you know, for Wax to go find and rescue. Uh, but, but again, like on, on that writing style, so there's, there's one thing, and this is, you know, we're going back to the humor. Mm. We, we, we have yeah. to do this. I want to talk um, about this too. And of course this is going to be tied a lot into Wayne. Uh, but I, you know, I talked last episode about how I was, actually pretty okay with the depiction of Wayne and the humor in the alloy of law in this book. I feel like the humor really takes a step too far into the like really honestly juvenile side of things. Like when, when he feels the need to put in a whole scene of a burping contest, like, come on, dude, like that, that's just so that's such immature humor, you know, like, yeah, I think a lot well, of <clears throat> I think Wayne's a bit too much in this one. Yeah, so I found it a lot of times jarring um, going from a point of view that wasn't Wayne back to Wayne where we've like we've got serious things going on in the other points of view. And then we hit back to Wayne and Wayne's like making crass jokes, you know, and I'm like, ah, damn it. You know, like I was really excited about what was going on. And we were exploring themes of philosophy and like culture. And then then we come back to Wayne doesn't feel like engaging with that. So we're not going to engage with that. You know, it just, it kind of threw me out of the book. Yeah. So anyway, uh, technical issues aside. um, So Lauren, you were just saying like how you were frustrated by Wayne kind of pulling us out of the more interesting parts of the story. Yeah, and I guess part of that is Brandon's choice in which sections he puts where. You know, like he didn't have to put Wayne in between, you know, Marasi and and Wax doing these big things, thinking these big things, but he did. Yeah, you know, this is something that I I don't want to criticize Brandon for because this is just an authorial choice, but he's definitely wary of delving too deeply into the like actual philosophical elements of the story. Like when I think about how much of the story or at least the setting of the story, the background is driven by um, 
you know, social issues, labor yes. issues and mm-hmm. government corruption and things like that. But it's all very sanitized and at a distance. It's all just kind of like a painting on the background. Where, whereas, like, if you compare it to something like the Acts of Cain, where those same issues are, again, part of the bedrock of the story, Stover interacts directly with those. His characters grapple with those issues on a personal, intimate level. For for Wax, it's all very like, well, you know, I'm I'm doing good. You know, I I have other people to deal with the day to day, but I'm you know I'm using my money for good. And like, and so we, we get it as just this sort of removed, um, cultural flavoring. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Like you, I don't want to say that every author has to, like, if you're going to include any sort of like philosophical or social commentary in your book, you have to grapple with it on a personal intimate level. Um, but I can definitely understand why readers would be frustrated with that aspect in in this book, especially because it is pretty shallow. I mean, he still makes you think about yeah. it, though, as you're reading. I mean, does it like so for me, I think about there are all of these issues and how are the issues solved? The dude gave a good speech at the end. <laughs> yeah, that is. You know, there's no like direct grappling with how do we fix this problem the problem at hand that gets fixed is we're hunting down a serial killer not we're fixing our society and i think that maybe more is like we fixed one mob not the problems with the Ellendale as a whole yeah yeah so i mean I, <clears throat> I but i guess what i'm saying is i don't think like the humorous sections pull me out of that though. I mean, if it's shallow to begin with, then it's not pulling you away too much. Right. Well, we'll almost get to it. We'll almost have a moment where they're actually going to address the issue or at least think about it deeply. And then we'll go back and it's, and it's Wayne like breaking up, like t- talking about how we call it a commode instead of, you know, a crapper. Like, seriously, that was one, that was the point of view starter right after, I think it was uh, Marasi's like dealing with, I think she had just found out that the governor was corrupt. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we could have gotten somewhere here. Yeah, like, um, there's there's absolutely an element of just... Like, this is humor that's targeted for kids, preteens and teenagers. Yeah. Like, this is not adult humor. Well, I think Uh, that's the problem with a lot of his humor is that when you get to it, you're like, oh, like you, you clearly went out of your way to add the humor. Whereas like with good humor, you don't really notice it. You know what I mean? It's just like this character happens to be funny, Mm -hmm. not this is my funny character. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. Um, It kind of reminds me um, like Wayne from book one to book two kind of reminds me of like, um, it made me think of the humor in the first Pirates of the Caribbean compared to the humor in like the sequel to Pirates of the Caribbean, where they like 
overly lean on the humor from the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good comparison. Yeah. Okay. And you're like, oh, like, uh, like face value, it's funny, but like, I see what you did there, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I wouldn't have even thought about that, but that is a really good comparison. It's been years since I've watched those movies. We just we just watched one the other day. That's why I thought of it. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, I mean, do we have any more style stuff to go over here? Um, we're already kind of talking about Wayne as a character. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's the only style thing I had that I can think of right now. Okay. Well, so moving just directly into characters then, and sticking with Wayne, because we've already been talking about him. The other thing that I like really dislike about him in this book is just how awful he is to Steris. Yeah, that's like he's painful. just he's just a dick like. he he outright says it he doesn't tiptoe around it like he did yeah. before he's like what you need to call this off this is i mean you're it's, not good uh, for him you're not right for him he it's creeper level like yes he's serious for once and he's serious <laughs> about like about her being not right yeah that he doesn't like her yeah and and he's just rude to her like he's at every so turn rude so, and then on top of that, you know, you get, Jared, you bring up the creeper thing. Like you get the scene where he, he's like meeting Milan and he's, he's like, wow, you know, like she'd be really interesting. Too bad I'm taken already. And then he thinks about how he needs to work on his flirting. So Renette won't, and it's like, like that's super creepy too, that he like mm-hmm. internally, he thinks of himself as in a relationship with a woman who clearly hates him, you know? Yep. Like. That's that's also unsettling on a lot of levels. Uh, yeah, so like Wayne in this book, while while I was more or less okay with him in the first book, can't stand him in this one. Really, do not like him in Shadows of Self. Yeah, it's yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's just kind of a worse version of the book one Wayne, really. Yeah, for sure. But on the other hand. I think the other three main characters are better in this book than they were in the first one. Yes. Um, we see growth for all three of them. Yeah, like Wax. Whereas Wax is a pretty just like straightforward action hero in the first one. I don't think he has too much of a struggle as a person. Um, and that makes sense. You know, like Brandon wrote that as not as some like big deep, you know, novel. It started off as a short story that became more. And so, like, he wasn't going to spend all this time building a an incredibly complex character for it. But now that we're moving into the Mistborn Era 2 trilogy proper, um, as Brandon looks at it, Alloy of Law is kind of its own thing, and then the trilogy starts with Shadows of Self. Um, Wax's internal issues are much more at the forefront. We see him grappling with how his relationship is developing with Marisy. Yep. Um... I like. I think it, that was a really natural way to take it. It makes a lot of sense that he's uncomfortable around her, and the way he's treating her, he perceives as the right thing to do. But of course, she isn't a mind reader, so to her, she thinks he's like being really disrespectful and doesn't trust her, doesn't believe in her, and that 
you know, that impacts her own character arc in a pretty substantial way where she's dealing with issues of self-confidence throughout this book. Yeah. It's, and it's the classic uh, case of the one person being a bit abrasive, probably just to try and like put up a wall in a certain area of their relationship. And I think yeah, Marcy, I like, I think she needs to grow up a little and realize that. But then again, I think her, uh, her, her reactions are understandable. Yeah. You can sympathize. Yeah. With and it. she, I mean, she does do some growing in this book. She, yeah. She starts to see herself as independent and uh, she doesn't need wax to come save her. We have a scene in the very beginning where she clearly doesn't need wax to come save her. And, you know, she has other problems that she's having to deal with, you know, being ostracized at work for her, you know, quick promotion and being one of the yeah. few women in uh, in the force. Yeah, where she's, you know, she's trying to figure out how she fits and what like what she wants to do. Like, how is she going to interact with the other, her co-workers, I guess I'll call them, who have been in the force longer, don't have the same experience that she does with the law, and expect these more traditional things from her. She talks about it where she's still expected to be traditionally ladylike, while at the same time being perfect at her job, you know. Whereas, like, she's in a uniform, but she's also expected to wear dresses and do her job and chase people down, <laughs> you know, in in women's classical dress. is not easy. So I've talked before about how Marcy is my favorite character in Era 2. So, so yeah, I've, I've been on record uh, as saying that Marcy is my favorite character in Era 2. And this book, like, she's she's an interesting character on the Isle of Law, but this book begins what I perceive as a multi-book character arc for her that I really enjoy. And it's all around her identity and how she identifies herself, where she draws her confidence from. Uh, a lot of the stuff early on in this book is her kind of comparing herself to the rest of the constables um, contrasting herself as a, a solicitor who has become a constable versus a normal constable. And there is something in the way, at least my reading of her, there's something in the way she wears her uniform. There are a couple of points that Sanderson specifically mentions that she's wearing her uniform. Uh, one of them is at the end of the book where wax like thinks it's almost weird that she's still wearing the uniform at this party. And then he's like, well, I guess other constables do this too, right? Um, but so here, where Marcy is struggling with self-confidence, she f starts finding that self-confidence in the symbol of her uniform, in the symbol of this internalized symbol of like being a constable. And, and uses that symbol as like something to strive toward. And I want us to like keep that in mind as we move through Bands of Mourning and, and The Lost Metal. Uh, how she develops herself as a person 
moving into the adult world in Ellendale. And especially given <clears throat> where she's coming from and I think the low expectations that at least she perceives that everyone else places on her. Yeah, again, like there's there's that that label, that symbol attached to her of bastard. You know, we have another scene in this book with um innate. Yeah, where he he just no, not innate, uh Ardell, right? Nope. Where he just calls her a, a bastard. It was Oh, Ardell does, but yeah. Nate has another scene where he's like, She's you're her cousin. Right. Oh yeah, no. There's there's a scene with Ardell though where he just like straight up he's not insulting her he's just telling her this is the reality you are a bastard you are an illegitimate child and so she has this chip on her shoulder an internalized symbol of who she is and now she's latching onto a new symbol to get past the shame of being the bastard yeah you know Mm -hmm. um and, and i i find that struggle really compelling so uh, on the other hand, her half-sister, Steris, uh, how do we feel about Steris in this book? Okay, so I will say first read of book one, Steris was a little annoying. Second read, I feel a lot differently about her. And then I remember getting to this point. All right, Steris, Lauren, go. <laughs> okay, so last book... First time reading through, Steris was a little abrasive. Second time reading through, less so. This book, though, she she hits her stride. She is so valuable for the things that she can bring to the table. And we see right away that she is very reasonable and thinking about, like, okay, something's going to interrupt our wedding. If I can plan it to happen, then things will be smoother because I can plan for how I'm going to she's, deal with the interruption. She's trying to game Murphy's Law. <laughs> Which is so she, in her character. So, uh, so it's funny you bring up the wedding. I So I've only read Shaz Self once and Bands of Morning once, obviously back in 2015 and 2016 when they came out, there was one event that I totally thought happened in at like the beginning of this book that happens at the beginning of the next book, I guess. And an event like, so the, uh, the party with the different displays with all the alimantic metals and the empty, you know, the empty display labeled Adium, the lost metal. Mm-hmm. I totally remember that as happening at a party in Bands of Morning, not this one. So I'm like, I'm curious to see what other things um, my memory is, what other tricks my memory is playing on me. I mean, but, these last two I've only read once before, so they kind of blend yeah. together. Yeah. And Shazza Suff and Bands of Morning came out so close together. It, it was like October and January 2015 to 2016. So like it, it definitely apparently blended in my head, which is not something I'm used to have happening. Like I'm usually really good at separating events that happen in different books in my head. Like I know with the wheel of time, you know, 
lots of people I see online and discussions like saying they don't remember which events happen in which books. It all just blends together. And for me, it's like, mm-hmm. no, like I very clearly remember <laughs> no, like down to yeah. chapters with the wheel of time. But, but yeah, with this, I've only read it once. So things got a little, a little jumbled. I mean, even, you know, we're talking about Steris. I think some of my memory of her is just jumbled together from all of them. Mm-hmm. Like she was definitely like Lauren was saying, that was a little more abrasive in the first one than I remembered. But then again, I think a lot of that honestly changed when you guys told me last week that she was on the spectrum. Yeah. That really puts a lot of it in perspective. Oh, it totally does. Um, and so it's funny. I like you guys. The first time I read through these books, I wasn't the biggest Steris fan, but for me, it was Bands of Mourning. The first time I read it was when I finally was like, no, I like this character. The first time I read Shadows of Self, I didn't like her still, but this time reading through, yeah, she's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's a good word for it. Like, I don't know. Well, we have, enjoy that, the scene she's in. we have that party scene where she's like, well, I thought there might be traffic getting in. So why don't you just fly us up? Yeah. She planned for the, <laughs> for their arrival and wax. <laughs> she's like, I wore the right, like undergarments so that you could fly us up. <laughs> See, okay, and here's the thing, like I feel like some of the humor with her is natural. Yeah. Perfect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's she's so self-deprecating at the party, even though she's doing great. She talks about she's like, if I were more deft at social situations, that I wouldn't have trouble interacting with these people, but instead I have to plan everything. And then she gets this obnoxious guy to leave them alone. And she's like, no, no. Like, if I were better at this, I wouldn't have made him feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and I also appreciated Wax's reply. You know, when she's she's being self-deprecating and talking about how inept she is and how she has to put on a performance, put on a performance and plan her conversations in advance. And Wax is like, you'd be surprised how much everybody does that. Right. You know? And that's that's totally true. I'm I certainly do that. Like if I have I mean, to make a phone call or something before I hit, you know, before I dial that number, I'm like rehearsing what I'm going to say in my head. You know, I think as an introvert, I can um, definitely see where she's coming from with some of it. Yeah. It's just she takes it to an extreme and is like writing things down in a notebook, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as the lone extrovert, like I, I see how that's <laughs> valuable, but I also just charge ahead. Because I am comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. yeah, I can see that. But uh, other characters. So um, how do you feel about Milan? She's fun. She's spunky. Yeah, I think spunky is probably a good word for it. Um, hmm. I have kind of a, a complicated relationship with her. Because on the one hand, Brandon uses her so much to feed into the Wayne style of humor. Like, she yeah. she is, you know, the... Um, well, she reacts well to him. gets to play off of. Yeah. And he has to set up his, like, very deliberately constructed, quote-unquote, humorous scenes. But when she's away from Wayne, 
I I like her attitude as a different type of Chandra. She isn't as you know restrictive and stuffy as some of the other Chandra. Like this, one of the reasons why Tensoon was such a great character in Era One. He was the Chandra rebel. He he was the one willing to push the boundaries of what their society said was okay, and 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 Chandra society is extremely restrictive. You know, like in Era mm-hmm. One, they had the Covenant, and in Era Two, here they're like servants of harmony and and have you know basically taken oaths to only act in certain ways in the world and so milan's willingness to stretch that a little bit makes her a more dynamic character yeah i like her um i think it's somewhat it's sometimes hard to find perspective with her as a character given just how old she is in the story. Yeah, definitely true. Mm-hmm. So you kind yeah. of have to like step out of sort of this feeling that you have with the rest of the characters whenever she comes in, just given all of her history. I, I mean, it's probably like that with any of the Chandra. It's the same thing with Tensoon. Mm-hmm. And, and she chooses her immature moments. Like she chooses to have fun with Wayne. And then we have her later when uh, Marasi is talking about like, why didn't Harmony do this? Why didn't Harmony do that? And Milan is like, you have no perspective at all. Do not like presume to know what the consequences of what you want him to do would be. You don't understand. Mm. Think about it. And I think like she gives that perspective to Wax especially. To kind of like take take a step back. Hmm. Well, he's not in the best place at the end of this to really like <laughs> have that conversation. Yeah, well. That's an understatement. <laughs> and that beer smells really good, Lauren. Mm, it tastes really good. I bet it does. I hope it's thematically appropriate. It is. <laughs> <laughs> there is zero doubt of that. <laughs> or there should be zero doubt of that. Um... Anyway, uh, do we have any other characters that you guys want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Wax more? I don't have any more about Wax, but if you guys do. Yeah, we haven't even touched on the fact that of what he's dealing with, with finding out that Lessie wasn't actually Lessie. Okay, well, uh, so I was going to, yeah, I was going to do. Palm. No, I was going to talk about this element of it in, in kind of miscellaneous and wrapping up. This is my least favorite book in Era 2, in large part because of that revelation. I Do you... Has Brandon confirmed that that was his plan all along? Oh, I don't know if anybody's asked him. I, I have to imagine it was. Um, it, does, but... it does feel a little like... Uh... So the biggest thing is like I, I don't I don't have an issue with it as like a plot level decision, but for me the the emotional impact just isn't there. Um, I hmm. I didn't care about Lessie. I don't know her enough. I don't. Well, you like, get we get like a scene. <laughs> yeah, and and so it's just Wax and Brandon ultimately telling us that we should care about this when you know and like and I know there are readers out there who love this book. 
and and were emotionally distraught by the end of it. And I just don't get that. Um, the most of the plot, I think, was tightly written and it was really enjoyable. And as I was reading through this, I was like, man, why did I dislike this book so much? Why was I so disappointed with this one the first time around? And then I got to the end and I was like, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> the ending, like for me, the Trell, the, the Trellium spike and Marisi wanting to figure out what's going on Trell totally overshadows any of the emotional impact of Lessie being Paul. Well, yeah, there's just much bigger Cosmere implications. <laughs> and for what? And, and I think that that undercuts all of the narrative momentum of the book where it, it should have built more naturally, but instead it feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like there, there are hints like the fact that she's going around wearing bloody tans, you know, face mm -hmm. and, um, and then she quotes bloody tan to him, you know, someone else moves us. Uh, but, but the emotion is the crux of the reveal and the emotion just isn't there for me. So that, that final scene on the bridge just didn't really hit for you. Correct. Huh. The only time there was any sort of emotion for me uh, was the very last scene with uh, Steris coming over and sitting next to him and just putting her hand on his lap and, and then him like leaning over and crying on her shoulder. Like, but that emotion was for Steris in my mind. Like that, that was like, I was more emotional about like her making that gesture in her own mm -hmm. sweet way. Um, it, it had nothing to do with Wax being distraught over Lessie. I mean, as far as we know, Wax never, we know he didn't tell her before in the other book. As far as we know, Wax never told her about Lessie. So she's got this. Steris? Like he never yeah. told Steris about Lessie? Yeah. I think you're right. I don't remember any. Yeah, that's Yeah, Wax, Wax thinks to himself something like they don't need to know. Or like nobody, nobody here in Ellendale. Yeah, he needs definitely to know. never told his family about Lessie. Yeah, he brings that up. But um, so she could have been blindsided by this. Steris could have. Mm -hmm. And even though she understands that this is a more like a in the style of an arranged marriage, she I I can't doubt that she has feelings involved here and maybe a sense of betrayal that he he didn't tell her and yet despite that she reaches out to him to comfort him at the end yes yeah, yeah i mean i think there has to be something something there given how she handles the situation yeah i think mm -hmm. i definitely think there's like not enough time with lessie to care as much as we should at the end but it still hit for me it did for me too. Yeah, like so if I if I were to put on my editor hat here, I think I would have had Lessie appear in the prologue. You know, where Wax like goes into the bar and he's like all, you know. She does appear in the prologue. But like as as more of a mm, 
like they're already together kind of thing. Um, like already like, a team. Instead of yeah, instead of him just being like just getting into his Ruff's persona, if we got to see them acting together more, like as a husband and wife, I think that would help, you know, and then maybe throw in a flashback in the middle of the book or something as well to really like drive it home. Where he's like, oh, I remember this with Leslie. Yeah, uh, that would help a lot. Flashbacks, I think, would have really helped. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like, and I'm not always like the biggest fan of flashbacks. I think they can be a little bit of a crutch, but here I think that would have been a great choice. I mean, so so the scene hitting for me is more, I feel bad for both of them. Not, I feel their pain. I understand that they're in pain, and I feel bad that they are in pain, but I don't quite feel their emotions. Yeah, for me, the scene hits more on the level of the the sort of tension that now exists between harmony wax. and wax. Yeah. And it's less about like lessy. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Like that's the more interesting part to me. Yep. Yep. Um, Do you want to talk about the betrayal here for wax? I mean, I don't know what more there is to say about it. The like, betrayal as in of harmony of harmony. Yeah. Cause we, we don't get any time to see how he reacts to it. Um, that's something that we're going to see a lot more in the next book. I mean, he's pretty listless and he won't talk yeah. to him. Yeah. And there's only like one chapter after that. True. It's so, clearly yeah. left him in a bad spot. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is set up for the bands of morning. I think that's a, that's something we'll talk about a lot more next episode. So, but if we're done with characters, we can move into miscellaneous points and maybe talk Cosmere a little bit. Wait, can I say one thing? Um, yeah. One minor character that I really liked was Aridel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like he's... I, super enjoyable. I mm-hmm. remember thinking that he might be the Condra. The first read. I did mm-hmm. think that on the first one. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, like, in typical Brandon fashion, maybe this is a good like shift into miscellaneous points. Uh, in typical Brandon foreshadowing fashion, it's super obvious that uh, the governor is Palm. This time around, like it's the, the all the hints are there, but the first time you read through, you just don't see them for what they are. Like it, it reminds me a lot of like the earring in Arrow One, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you you like you on the second read through when you know what to look for. There's like super obvious hints. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's just really impressive how he can make things super obvious on reread. And completely innocuous on first read. Mm-hmm. That is a skill that few authors have. Most yeah. of the time when they lay out foreshadowing, like this is one of my criticisms of someone like Robert Jackson Bennett. Uh, he structures his his books and mysteries a lot like Brandon does. Uh, Foundry side, like I recommend to all Brandon Sanderson fans, but I 
I found Foundry side very predictable because I thought all of his foreshadowing was like, was just obvious. If I remember right, you know, we did two episodes on Foundry side and Rob and I did predictions uh, halfway through. And I think all but one of our predictions we nailed. <laughs> it was like, and so that, that meant the, the second half of that book, really the final act, because we ended up covering about two thirds of the book on the first episode lost a little bit of the impact. Cause I was just like, it would, things were set up to be these big mysterious reveals. And I was like, no, I totally saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> and and I he, think he did get better at that in, uh, in the second book, Shorefall, but, but that's just not something that I have to worry about too much with Brandon. Now, hmm. The more Brandon writes, the more um, like his methods become obvious, especially now that I'm like really critically reading his books. Uh, but even then, he still finds ways to surprise me. Like when when I was reading through Rhythm of War the first time, there were a few things I was like, I see this coming. But then there were some things that I definitely did not see coming, you know. And yeah. then that was also something that I... Like, obviously, I'm going to talk very lightly on this, but with the secret projects, I appreciate that he's doing something different. He's not writing the secret projects in his normal style. Some of them are more like his normal style than others, mm -hmm. but it, it was fun reading them because he wasn't just hitting the same plot beats uh, that he does in, you know, a, a Mistborn book or something like that kind of a random thought do you think the more and more we delve into cosmere wide stuff do you think the cosmere things that he drops in are obvious no not yet you don't think so mm, i mean at the point that this came out yeah, I, well, we didn't at the point that Shadows of Self came out. Yeah, I mean, there again, like in Alavad, there isn't a ton of Cosmere in this book. Uh, I, like it's pretty much just Trell. Although I liked the Hoyd sighting. Yeah, yeah, he's the coachman. <laughs> he got name dropped finally. Yeah, he, he was just a beggar at a wedding, nameless in the, in the last book, but. But I do think, like, Brandon is definitely getting to the point. Like, in this book, he calls out Trell. He's like, look, there's another godlike harmony. Mm -hmm. At the end, yeah. You know, like, that's not hiding <laughs> no. a Cosmere Easter egg the way he did with, you know, some of the things in maybe the way of kings. You know, like yep. some of the interlude characters who are world hoppers, and you're like, you could very easily read that scene, even knowing about the Cosmere and not realize they're world hoppers. Yep. Um, here it's obvious. Like Trell is a, is a neon sign pointing at this saying Cosmere, Cosmere, Cosmere you know, yep. a metal that harmony is unfamiliar with a God that, you know, another God. Now, of course there are theories that um, this is harmony starting to stop being harmony and start yeah. being discord. Uh, but even then that's still like, this is Shardic level plot. This is Cosmere stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
and and like that's I was gonna say like I don't know if I really have all that much to say Cosmere wise that we didn't already talk about last episode. No, I don't you think so. You had a theory at this point when this came out. Yeah, this was the day this book came out. Um, you know, Brandon did his midnight release in Utah, and then on release day did the signing in Denver. And we got our books and before I'd even, you know, gotten a chance to read more than the first, I don't know, maybe the prologue in chapter one, uh, waiting in line at the signing, I, I had a question about Trell, not knowing that Trell was about to become a whole lot more important. <laughs> Raffo. And in retrospect, his reaction to, to my answer makes a lot of sense because, you know, he got this like kind of sly look on his face and smirk. Because he knew that I hadn't read the book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah. I like the way, just over time, how the Cosmere stuff started out as really subtle hints to being much more obvious. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, done a very I mean, good job. Point we're at now with Rhythm of War and the Lost Metal coming up, the, the Cosmere is is i'm not gonna say front and center but it is in the foreground <laughs> yeah unless you're a new reader you're at least aware of it <clears throat> and and i i don't know if there are too many new readers who are reading the fourth book in <laughs> in a, a cosmere series you know <laughs> no no so so yeah uh but do we have any other just like miscellaneous points to talk about or shall we, you know, wrap things up, go into final, our favorite scenes and the final draft. Do you want to talk about Pong or Tensoon? Nah, I don't have anything to say about Tensoon. <laughs> ah, who cares about, about Tensoon? They're Sunni pups. <laughs> okay. Uh, other thing. This is the first time we've seen somebody create hemallergic creatures i mean since era one when so, the lord ruler created well, other, I'm not other, <laughs> other than the lord ruler we've seen a non-lord ruler and obviously mm. it's not sazed creating these mm-hmm. yeah somebody it's is true. melding yep people yep and just <laughs> like i know nothing <laughs> well it it really opens up the possibilities here to me of what they can do, especially if we've got a world hopper in here. Yeah, I mean, this is something that gets brought up in the Ars Arcanum back in Hero of Ages, where Chris talks about how hemallergy has the potential for the most applications on a Cosmere level, rather than just local magic, mm-hmm. where hemallergy can be used to cross over and interact with other magic systems, other invested arts, I should say. And we've mostly seen it negatively. It would be interesting to see it positively. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to tough to argue positive uses of an Dying. art that involves brutally and bloodily killing somebody. But <laughs> Dying wish. <laughs> Just Dying a little wishes. earring. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, should we do favorite scenes? Sure. Okay. Uh, Jared, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, so the number three for me was that final scene with Lessie on the bridge. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Right after I just got like done <laughs> ranting about it. Yeah. I was kind of grinning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lauren, what's your third favorite? I think it's going to be Steris going to this party and really kind of letting her guard down and wax seeing like, wow. Just like he, he takes a couple minutes to just be like, wow, look at her. I mean, like, she kind of leads, right? Yeah, and yeah. He, he tells her, he's like, you know, this is the most genuine I've seen you. And she's like, but this is me being fake. And and so like she's she's seeing it from a different perspective from Wax. And Wax is Wax isn't saying that like her prepared lines are her being genuine, but the fact that she's opening herself up and letting him know that she operates this way is what's genuine about it. That is a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, for my number three, it's not really one scene in particular, but just in general, Marisy's like struggles with Reddy and her ongoing uh, like relationship with being a constable and finding her place and finding her self confidence with them. Like Reddy is a guy that like I, I specifically want to bring him up because he's a guy that it'd be really easy to hate, right? Like he hates her. She's our she's our hero, our main character. And this guy is just an asshole to her. But at the same time, like, I think Reddy's like kind of an understandable person. You know, like I, I don't love people who have his attitude toward the workplace, (laughs) Uh, but he's also honest about it. Like we have that scene with them at the end where she's like trying to convince him, Hey, there's a soother in the crowd. And, and he like outright says, he's like, huh, I hate you, but I don't even feel like, (laughs) I, I, I'm just a little annoyed with you right now. You're right. There is a soother. And like, and so he's, he's like <laughs> honest and open with her about it. Mm-hmm. And, and that like builds a, a, a respectful relationship, you know? And, uh, and, and then at the end, you know, Marisy's like, you know, she's like, yeah, you should do ready. You should have him be the replacement, you know? Um, yeah. So that was my third favorite. So my second favorite, kind of, I think one thing um, Brandon does well is opening action scenes. And I really like the one in this one where they're, uh, what's his name? Chasing the Marksman? Is that who it was? Oh, yeah. Marksman. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of this. And then the Marksman is taken out. Yeah. And probably I, if I one of the right, that was I would have to go back and look, but I vividly remember that being a preview chapter that got released like a month or a month or two before the book came out. And I'd also say one of the few Wayne scenes that I like. Oh, oh staying yeah. with the horses. <laughs> oh, when he goes into the tenement. When he goes like, into the tenement. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. he like he finds the marksman mm-hmm. by oh. impersonating. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I'm thinking about the flashback. Oh yeah, no, yeah, different, different. No, scene. like when he sneaks in and is pretending to be one of the like toughs on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he he takes on that mentality. He's like, yeah, things mm-hmm. suck, and I'm one of you, and dirty Connors, and yeah. Uh, Lauren, your yep. second favorite. 
Ah, uh, okay. I'm I'm wrestling with this. Can I have a tie? Uh, <laughs> sure. I guess. Okay. Let's see why not. Wax, uh, going and meeting with his grandmother. Oh, going to the village. Okay. And oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and Wax meeting up with Tensoon. Hmm. So mm. with his grandmother, we get a lot more backstory finally, which is kind of fun. Where it's kind of it's yeah. made clear that he did spend a year there and changed his life. He is in touch with his terrace roots. Um, but also he's dealing with her disappointment in him and his family battles of who he who he is and where he belongs. And then I'm, with Tensoon, we get that flashback of of just like, remember, remember Era One? <laughs> remember all the heroes? Remember like the caves? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> I like the uh the juxtaposition of that scene with Wax's discussion with Edwarn in this one where he's like, You would have sided with the Lord Ruler. You know, he's like, You you wouldn't you wouldn't have been on the same team as the survivor as Kelsier. You would have sided with the Lord Ruler. And it's like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's from a certain perspective, that's a reasonable argument to make. Yeah, I like, yeah, I, I, like I really like any scenes with Edwarn. I think they have like really good tense dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, they do. Yes. And I'm pretty sure it went from tense to Wayne. And that was another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that didn't help. Yeah. Well, my second favorite scene uh, was Wayne going to the bar, the church. Oh, and really? I, I was, I very nearly had this as my top scene in the book, which I know may surprise a lot of people given I how much I dislike Wayne. I was going to say. But the reason I ended up bumping it down was because the second half of the scene is this very stupid burping contest with Milan. Um, but the first half of the scene is an example of Brandon Sanderson at his best, in my opinion. It's doing something unexpected. The writing is is honestly beautiful. Yes. It's giving us like this, this metaphor that Wayne has for the bar. Mm-hmm. The way he looks at it suffuses every aspect of it. It's He's, he's got, you know, religious terminology for the waitresses, for the bartender, for the way people are sitting at the bar, the, the conversations, the way they're drinking, everything about it gives like a really kind of sad, but also um, endearing tint to the scene. You know, like I, I'm just really, really impressed by that one scene. And I wish we had more of that type of thing with Wayne's character. Agreed. Rather Absolutely. than just leaning on the, you know, teenage potty humor. Like it's like when he can really dive deep into something. Yeah. Yeah. And he's capable of it. We just don't get to see him do it very often. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we get a little bit when he goes and sees the daughter of the man he killed. Yeah. And, and he's like, this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst day of my life. Like, and I do this all the time and she might kill me and that's okay. She's totally justified, but I'm going to try anyways to make a difference for her. 
because she deserves yeah. it. You know, we we almost get a full rounded character and then we get cut off all the time with his hiding behind his humor. Yeah, when you uh, said you had a tied scene? scene. When you said you had a tied scene, I thought that was gonna be your other one. Um Yeah. Uh my number one would be in the pitch with Ten Soon when they're fighting their way out. Nice. Okay. Well, Lauren, you already did your your tie. Well, no, I have a number one. Oh, you had a tie for number two. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing four scenes instead of three. Yeah, sorry. She's cheating. Okay. Yeah. I did cheat. Okay. So Number one, even though it could have landed harder for me, uh, was still that moment where Wax holds Palm as she's dying. Like, this Mm -hmm. character has caused so much pain, and he's still empathetic towards her. And then we have the added bomb drop on both of them. Well, him mostly, where it's like, no... This time you really are losing the mm-hmm. the woman that you loved. Like and and even though we don't get the full impact of that via more time with Lessie, we still like I still see the suffering for both of them and ah, oh, it hurts. It's just funny cuz like for me it hits but for the different reason of feeling for wax being like mad at his god basically yeah 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 i mean it would have hit harder had i known lessie but i don't know her yeah but i still see their pain i mean it still has all the awesome writing with sanderson's like climactic scenes for sure yeah the cinematic style very visual yeah yeah, there's there's one really good um, visual moment when they're on the platform on top of the bridge, and it's like described as this like island, you know, in the in sea the of mist. mist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so my my favorite scene was just that last one with Steris and Wax, um, and, and Steris's tenderness. I've already talked about it, so there's not really much more to say. But that was uh, that ended up taking top scene that was special yeah good choice good choice i'm surprised uh, you didn't pick uh Marisi with some of uh her her scenes at the end with the metal you know like i considered that but it was just too brief for me yeah. to really say that was my favorite scene in the book um it's a great thing to leave the book on it's a great yeah. note from a storytelling perspective where I'm like, I am super invested in the next book now. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of the book itself, but we of course have the final draft. Jared, what are you drinking? Uh, today it's uh, mountain time from new Belgium. Oh yeah. I can't remember if I had this one last time or not. We're going through you a fat uh, tire last time. Yes, you did. Oh wow. Good memory. Uh, well, we're growing through a mixed, mixed, uh, like a mixed box. So it's nice. pretty good. That makes sense. I actually haven't yeah. heard of this one before. I don't know if it's new or what. Really? Oh, it's Mountain? Been around. Yeah, Mountain Time's been oh, around okay. for a while. Oh, yeah. really? It's like a light lager. 
Yeah, yeah it's, it's, to me, it's like old Aggie. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. similar to old Aggie. I think yeah. old Aggie had a little bit of a like a maltier profile, a little and some a little yeah. hoppier too. But but yeah, similar beers for sure. Mm-hmm. This is like the answer to Coors and Bud Light. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, it's, it's crushable. Exactly. So if that's what they're going for. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, I am drinking a non-alcoholic brew from Athletic Brewing Company, as usual. Uh, I don't think I've brought this specific one on before. This is their non-alcoholic winter warmer, uh, you know, Hmm. spiced dark ale uh, called Lodge Life. And, you know. This goes out to the terrasmen, the terrace people, I guess. Oh, nice. Um, the village, the, the coziness of the village reminded me of that. Uh, yeah, and, and this beer itself is good. You know, it's the weather is really turning in Fort Collins right now, and this this uh, fits the fall season. So, Good choice. Yeah, and Lauren, what thematically appropriate beer do you have? <laughs> okay, so I picked this out... Uh, it's a beer from Weathered Souls Brewing. They're in San Antonio, Texas. And it is an Imperial Stout at 12%. It's oh boy. nice and roasty. Yeah, it smells... I've gotten a couple of whiffs of that, and it smells very nice. Yeah. And this one is appropriately named Cavernous. <laughs> for the finally the getting to see... You know, the scene with Tensoon and those caverns that Sazed moved. Yeah. Very nice. Good choice. Good choice. Very nice. Well, uh, that said, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, which is episode uh, 190 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. We are getting real close to 200. That is exciting. You got to figure out what exactly I'm going to do to celebrate that. Uh, next up we're going to be heading right on into the bands of morning uh, we are you know we're full steam ahead with Mistborn Era 2 in the lead up to the Lost Metal so keep your eyes peeled for that as always if you want to support the show you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud and get access to all that bonus content I mentioned at the top of the episode I have been your host Drew McCaffrey and with me is my special guest Jared Livingston Hello. Thanks, guys. And my wife and partner in crime, Lauren McCaffrey. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.